Welcome to Shirt Factory Center Stage, a podcast recorded at the newest century-old hotspot, the Littit Shirt Factory. Join in as the relentlessly curious co-hosts Jim Hoffer and Kim Schaller shine a spotlight on the talented performers who will entertain and energize audiences from this very stage. It's quirky. It's fun. It's a behind-the-scenes listen that you won't want to miss. And now, here's Shirt Factory Center Stage. So here we go, Kim. We're back. Another episode. With a guest. Which makes it exciting whenever there's a guest. But this is really special because we have what I think is one of the best craft beer brew masters, really, in the Northeast, if not if not the country. And that is Jared Barnes. That's Jared Barnes. And he's sitting right here. Sitting here across from us. We're thrilled to have you here. Well, thank you. Brewmaster or master brewer. The bottom line is that every beer that is here and in your York location is created by you. Either myself or, or Ben or, or other ben. brewer. Yep. What's Ben's last name? Ben? Ben Badia. Obviously, you know, Kim and I are both huge fans, as are, you know, a growing legion of many others. But Jared has some serious craft beer making chops. Studied in Munich, Germany, correct? Yeah, I started out at Siebel Institute in Chicago and then left there and finished out at Doman's Academy in Munich. From there, went to Southern Tier Brewing Company up in New York. Left there, moved down to Florida and helped start uh, Darwin Brewing Company down there. Left there, went to Delaware and uh, helped the great guys down there at Mispillion River open up their place down in Delaware. Was there for about a year and a half uh, and ended up, you know, just progressively moving closer back here to, you know, back here to Pennsylvania. You know, left Florida to go to Delaware, left Delaware, came back here and worked at Rimridge uh, Farms for a brief stint for a couple months there and uh, decided after working there that. I was just going to do it for myself. And that's that's where we're at. And now you're opening your second, or really, I guess, your first extension of Collusion. This is your first satellite. Second satellite location from our downtown location in York. You could have gone anywhere. So why did you pick Lidditz? I knew that I wanted to do There's There's such a stigma between York and Lancaster County of crossing the Susquehanna River, which is, in my mind, absolutely ridiculous. But... Given the fact that people from Lancaster don't like crossing over the river coming into York and vice versa, we figured why not, you know, offer uh, our beer over in Lancaster County more so than just the distribution that we had been doing uh, on, a, on a pretty small scale uh, to a couple of local restaurants, bars, and, and beer distributors here. So Lancaster County was a place that I really wanted to come into uh, just because, I mean, Lancaster is, I mean, it's an awesome place. There's pretty diverse culture. It's, you know, you got downtown Lancaster compared to, you know, the rural areas of Lancaster County. And, and then you have Lidditz and Lidditz was kind of this awesome little, at the time, you know, not hidden town, but, uh, you know, when we had started talking about a second location, this was even before we had talked about, you know, coming up here to uh, the shirt factory was going to Lidditz or, or poking around up here because this is just a, a really cool down to earth town. I mean, there's a lot of stuff packed into such a little community here. I still tend to find myself after leaving here for the day, walking up and down the streets, even though I've done it many times, know where all the shops are and all the places are just to, you know, kind of see what's new. It's just a very comfortable town to be in and really enjoy it up here. So it was kind of a, kind of a no brainer. You have a few weeks under your, your belt here now. Maybe it's too soon to sort of get a feel for this, but are people across the river here in Lidditz? drinking different 
Lee than those over in York? Do they Absolutely. prefer? Absolutely. Uh, we have noticed a very different, well, I wouldn't say very different, but definitely a different trend of what's popular here compared to what's popular in York. And I don't know if that's necessarily the location differentiation as much as it is the demographic differentiation that you have between downtown York and what you have up here in Lidditz. The clientele here is a lot different than what you would have in downtown York. Uh, you know, neither good nor bad either way. It's just a different type of clientele. You know, most of the clientele here in Lidditz is older than we have in York. That absolutely sways your decision about what you're going to drink. You know, Lidditz is a very ritzy area, but more refined when it comes to uh, what they're looking for. Where York is more ambitious, Lidditz is kind of, you know, we know what we like and this is what we're going to drink. And yeah, I'll try some things here and there. What are we drinking in Lidditz? Actually, a lot of stuff that was super popular 10 to 15 years ago, to be honest. And I look at it from this perspective. I mean, the, the pale ales, the pilsners, the lighter lagers, the lower ABV beers are really what's selling. You know, Gossamer, uh, from, for instance. I mean, we still have Gossamer in York, and we blew through Gossamer here in three weeks. We went through more Gossamer in three weeks than we've had in York, and we've had it in York for two months. So that's that different demographic here. So in York, they're going more for more of the high ABV hazy stuff. It's more the fruited sours. It's more the trendy, uh, you know, imperial pastry stouts. It's more of the, you know, line life style of beers. Interesting. Where here it's a more refined palate. It's a more, well, I don't want to say refined, but it's a more traditional. Traditional. Yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah. traditional would be a good word. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of sick of the, not sick of, but wish we would go back to more classic styles you know as opposed to the ridiculously heavily fruited sours which we make or the you know 12 13 14 percent pastry stouts like our cookies and scream that we aged on literal oreos and like soaked the beer in oreos before we bottled it or the peanut butter and jelly stouts and the banana peanut butter and fluff banana ones that we've done before i mean my end of the day is i'm drinking that half nelson i'm drinking that gossamer i'm drinking that pilsner i'm uh, you know i'm that's where that's where my go-to is anymore. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to make money, right? So do you find that you're often making beers that are, you know, have more of a mass appeal rather than those that you really like to make? If you wouldn't be, then you probably have a pretty bad outlook on how a business should be run. Because the reality of it is the customers are the ones that are keeping you afloat. To go not necessarily against the grain, but to try to fight that want and demand is just making it more difficult for yourself to, you know, run a successful business that can employ, you know, however many people and, and go in that direction. So you have to have a hit beer. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to have a hit beer. But I mean, at the same time, look at our portfolio where we've done, you know, 760 or 770 something different beers now in four and a half years. I will say, you know, some of those are variants of the same base beer, but we'll take one beer and, you know, do five different things with it. But you know, we were averaging 200-something beers. Now, it kind of slowed down here because of COVID and everything else. We were averaging 200 to 250 different beers a year when we first started. And that was just playing around with all new things. Now, we do have our couple, if you want to call them flagships, um, you know, our homunculus double IPA, our fuzzy scrumpet, our uh, mm. Zerion matrix IPA, our panacea, which is like a rotating stout that we do, our first right pilsner, uh, the chimerical dreams, which is a kind of a fruited... IPA and different variants of different fruits in the IPA anamorphous series. So we do have those staples. We do have other seasonals, but we do a lot of one-offs as well. Now, that being said, we definitely tend to brew stuff 
towards what the current trends are, but put our own little twist on it. I mean, we're not one of those hype breweries where all we brew is two or three styles of beer because that's just not who we are. We've got, you know, a lot of creative freedom between Ben and I, a lot of creative freedom to do what we want. And we try to, you know, express that and showcase that as much as possible. I mean, I, I would hate to be a brewery where 60 to 70% of your production is one brand. That's just, that's, that's would be boring. And I understand where some people come from with that. You know, I, I understand that some breweries, you know, like to have that mindset of a production brewery where, you know, it's kind of, and I will say it's refreshing to go in and say, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing this week. I know what I'm going to be making this week. I know what I'm going to be doing this week. It's probably going to be this. And to say that from week to week can be a little refreshing when most of the time all you're doing is trying to come up with new names of beer, or trying to call it new recipes or new takes on a style of something that you've already done. Or how do we make the 17th different type of oatmeal stout that we've done so many times? So I do see the benefits to that, but I'm way too scatterbrained to just stick with one thing at a time. Got to be doing something new. There's a creativity involved Absolutely. if you're making over 700 beers in such Absolutely. a, sh- a yeah. short I mean, amount it's, of time. It's, it's just like a chef in a kitchen or, you know, an artist. But is there, Jared, a sort of guiding principle or philosophy, not to get too heavy here, that you take into brewing a beer without using the word balance? <laughs> is there a guiding philosophy for you? Don't compromise the integrity of what you're trying to accomplish by doing things just because they're popular. I like that. Mm, I like that. That's great. And where did that take hold? Was that early on or did you learn that in Munich? It's more of a a personal ideology, if you will, where, you know, you have this outlook on beer and you can say, okay, well, I can brew this just to skate by and, you know, maybe we'll do this and try to sell it as something like this or try to sell it something like that. And you know, I'll be the first one to admit that there have definitely been some mistakes in some beers that we've made, and we've done some things to alter the final product to make it more palatable to a certain aspect of it, but we're not afraid to dump stuff if it doesn't work. I mean, and that's that's one of the biggest, you know, aspects to us is we're not going to compromise the integrity of our product just to turn a quick buck, you know. If something didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to, we would try to fix the problem. If we couldn't fix the problem or if we couldn't get it to a point where we thought it was, you know, not just palatable, but worthwhile of selling, we dumped down the drink. And that, that's just how it is. So you're not afraid to take risks in pursuit of that next Absolutely great beer? Absolutely not. You can't just be complacent. You got to have new ideas. You got to have new things on the horizon all the times. Otherwise, it just gets boring. Right. Now, tell me about when you were a young guy. What was your go-to beer? Whatever was cheap. Don't say old Milwaukee. No. I mean, it was, it was probably, I mean, I was never a Coors Light fan. Uh, It was either Yingling Mm, because that's all we ever drank. It's not a bad choice. Yeah. No, Yingling is great. Yingling or Miller Light. I still have Miller Light in my fridge at home. So I'm not ashamed to say that. (laughs) I mean, I got Corona in my fridge. I I love Corona. in my fridge. I love Corona. I got no problem saying that. With, you know, with the lime and the orange. You know, I've got 10 year old bottles of wild lambics from Belgium in there too. And, you know, imperial stouts and barley wines from 1995. I've got all of that, but anybody that says, oh, I'm just a craft beer drinker. That's just too pretentious. Don't lump yourself into that category because every beer has its place. Well, and still for me, like one of, I mean, I love craft beer. I have a passion for it, for drinking it, but still one of my favorite beers to drink is a Guinness. There you go. Mm -hmm. That's it. Well, speaking of Guinness, because it's the opposite of my beer taste. I mean, it has come down to oftentimes it's calories. And 
So I find myself, I drink tequila. There's 50 calories in a yeah. nice tequila. So how are you mindful of the trend, um, you know, in healthier drinking and lower calorie beers? We've done a couple session IPAs, uh, which are pretty low ABV. Uh, we did one last year called Riverette, uh, which was, I think it came out 4% if I'm remembering right. It was a 4% low calorie. It was like 110 calories nice. per yeah. serving. And we sat on that beer for like eight months to the point where we dumped the rest of it. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. It sold so poorly. I'm a little surprised. I so you don't well, see and, a and trend. I bet you, and this goes back to the conversation that we had 15 minutes ago. I Lit bet it. you if I brought that up here, yeah. it would have sold like crazy. Guaranteed. It's different Reprise. Outlooks. Reprise of River Rat. Yeah. <laughs> well, that full Nelson or that half Nelson, that's 4.9%. That's pretty low. That's probably 125, 130 calories per glass. So that's not too high up there. We're going to tell everyone out there listening right now that half Nelson is fabulous i, I am yeah. telling you that that is, beer is really really nice yeah it's, that's so one of my favorites congratulations on that because that's a good one so just like some of lightning round questions where what beer did you develop that you thought this is going to kick ass we are going to that was other than the river rat you just talked about that you thought was going to be great that wasn't that wasn't yes that wasn't gossamer really See, I loved Gossamer. I and, here, Gossamer. and once again, here, right back to that same conversation. In York, we still have Gossamer sitting. You know, now it's, it's not that. It's two and a half, two months old, two and a half months old. But we still have kegs of Gossamer in York. No. Bring them here. And I was just going to say, I and I love the beer. <laughs> I, love I love Gossamer. The beer. I love and it. it's one of the lowest rated beers that we have. I think that's fascinating. I do too. I yeah. What are we talking here? 25 mile yeah, difference? 30 mile it's incredible to me. It's local. Local it has it's, real it's meaning. It's the demographic no of, yeah. you know, let it to York. It absolutely is. What is the hardest beer to brew? So that's kind of a tough question. When it comes to traditional beer styles, I would say any of your super light lagers, Pilsners, Pilsner. Helles, Vienna, are probably the most difficult to brew, not just because of the time that it takes but because there's nothing to hide any defaults. You know, if you've got a defect in your beer, you can't cover that mistake. You take a double IPA and I can just throw so many hops at it or add some fruit to it or make a lemon-lime cheesecake version of it and magically Voila. it sells like crazy. Yeah. And no mistakes. Knows, nobody knows the difference. What's the most fun beer to make? Well, that's another difficult question. Because I would also say, I mean... The reality of it is the most difficult beer to potentially make would be any of your wild inoculated or mixed culture fermented saisons or, or barrel aged sours. Um, and that's not necessarily because of a, yes, it is difficult to get the right flora in your beer required, but that's also, you know, area dependent, region dependent, uh, unless you're purposely pitching yeast and bacteria from a certain region of the world. Spontaneously fermented beers are very difficult to brew properly. You get a lot of mistakes with those. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if 50% of the times that people make those beers, they're dumping them down the drain. I mean, we're the same way. We've done, I'd say, 15 to 20 different barrel-aged sour beers. And I would probably guess that, well, I know at least five or six of them have been drain pours. And it's just because, you know, the, the, the bugs didn't work how they were supposed to or how you expected them to. But then blending those beers to make it palatable is also a difficult thing. And that, that can't be done by just pure science itself. That has to be somebody doing it with 
experience and with, you know, flavor profiles and what they think is going to work and what's not. Now, obviously you, you kind of know where the project is going to go when you start it, but that's the nice thing about wild beers is they could take off in different directions. Do you see yourself as part chemist because, you know, there's hops, there's yeast, there's barley, but also water. And isn't that like one of, one of the most important ingredients is the water and you yeah. have to, you know, either make it softer or harder or mineralize it or. That's the biggest thing about brewing is people have to understand is you have a lot of the sciences all combined. I mean, it's, it's physics, it's biology, it's chemistry, it's sometimes ecology. I mean, it's all of those things combined, you know, in varying degrees, you can make it as simple or as complicated as you would want to, but all of those play a key factor in the outcome of your beer. You know, and, and I'll play a role in the brewing process at some point. Now, whether I would consider myself a chemist, I mean, kind of, I don't want to put, you know, just like, I, I don't like, I don't like the term brewmaster. It's the same kind of deal. I, I think that that is reserved for people with a lot more skill and a lot more experience than I have. And I've been doing this for 12 years now at five different places. And I still wouldn't consider myself a brewmaster, you know, even though that is what the degree that I have is, you know, it's, it's the master brewer's degree, blah, 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 whatever. I make beer on a seven barrel system, you know, in downtown York. I'm not distributing all across the country. I'm not, you know, if I reserve that term for anybody, it would be someone that runs the entire operation from start to finish on a brewery that is massive in size. You know, like John Stemler at Free Will, like the guys down at Victory, like Trogues Brothers, you know, like Finn from Southern Tier. I mean, that's that's where you get to that brewmaster status i mean over in over in europe that's reserved for the best of the best so you know to call myself a chemist would i think be undermining the true chemist or the true biologist or the true physicist out there i'd say you're well on your way though i mean it's, you're I, striving I like, for I it dabble. though aren't you yeah. i dabble let's, yeah. let's put it that way <laughs> okay you're i dabble good at dabbling. i don't know I, i'm getting thirsty i don't yeah. know <laughs> i don't know about you well <laughs> yeah, we can I'm solve that thirsty. problem too I'm a marketer by trade and the names that you've come up with and the packaging, I think the packaging is, is beautiful and the names are so interesting. Mm -hmm. So the process of naming a beer, like could, could we ever name a beer? I think naming a beer would Please be so. A beer. It's sometimes as simple as opening a book and looking at a sentence and saying those two words go together or as complicated of. I have this beer that we have an artwork for that I've had for three weeks and I have no idea what to call this. And I've been racking my brain about this, you know, for hours a day and I still can't come up with anything. So as far as naming a beer, I mean, a lot of the times the stuff is, it's perfect example. We have a beer called No More Pants Today. Yes. Yes. That's one I was curious about. This literally got named like two weeks ago where I had been at the brewery all morning in York since like six o'clock in the morning. And then I left to come here and I was here till 6.30 or 7 and went home. And as I'm walking through the door, I remember that I didn't turn on one of the temperature controllers for the fermenter that we had knocked out into earlier that day. Now, thankfully enough, Ben was there. He lives across the street. I said, hey, do you mind walking back across the street to turn this on? He's like, yeah, I guess I can do that. Why? And I said, because... I walked through the door and my pants are off and 
There's no more pants today. <laughs> and that's literally where the name of that beer came yeah. from. I love that. Like at that moment, you I said I have my pajamas it? on. I'm not putting them back on again. Did yeah. it strike you as, that's the name? That's no, because he then took what I said and the next day, he was like, yeah, we're going to name this beer that. And I was like, all right, fine. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Sometimes, do you ever, you're reading something, that's a great name that's for absolutely. a beer. Do you jot it down, even yeah. though you haven't made the beer yet? We've got a list. We've, we that's have a really list of cool. 100 something names that we haven't used names that we're just waiting to name a beer after. Well, the names are are half the fun of it, I have to tell you. They're half the struggle, too. Yeah. Because sometimes you're just like, I'm, I'm sick of naming 760-something different beers now. I, I, I'll help you out with that. My brain's fried. Where did collusion come from? Uh, it was literally, I walked through the door of my dad's house, and on the counter, on his island that he has in the kitchen, there, oh, there's a little piece of paper that said collusion on it. And I thought to myself, that's a great name for a brewery. Because we had been through so many other options at that point. We had been five or six months into the whole process of trying to get the brewery started. And the only thing that was holding us back at this point was the name. And we had thrown out, I, I don't know, five, six, seven different things out at copyright. And all of them came back, you know, used or taken or conflicting. And finally, we we're just like, screw it. Let's try this. And Collusion Tapworks was... Was born and cleared. It was the first one that actually got a pass, so we used it. It definitely clicks. And then a year later, we had the whole investigation into collusion, and everything else, and good timing. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly enough, we got a we got a lot of a lot of Google hits for that one. And you re- you are a hard worker. There is no question. You work really hard, from what we can observe of you in your schedule, and you're very intense and have a lot of passion around what you do. So it's not surprising that we're loving the beers. Speaking of that, um, I think we need to see it's time. beers that we... It's time to yeah, taste we some. Can do Let's that. taste some. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay, so we have four beers made by Jared Barnes and Ben, Collusion, Tapworks, here in Lidditz. Which one should we try first, Jared? And why? Does well, it matter the order? <laughs> Unfortunately, the four that I gave you, all of them wouldn't like really go in order. Because two of the four would definitely be at the end of your journey. The dark ones, right? Three of the four would actually be at the end of your journey. But I would say probably the Doppelbach first. Really? And that's this one? And that's just because it's the least complex. Well, I don't want to say complex because in my mind it's the most complex, but it's the least crazy out of all the other. So what's our name of the... the, So this is Bacchinator. It's a a 8.2% Doppelbach. I'm a huge Troganator fan, and that's like my go-to. Grab a six-pack at the grocery store is Troganator. Always have been. Oh, that's that really good. good. This is so. Nice. This is kind of like it's like coffee. Seeing if I could make what they make. Yeah. There's a couple different ways that I like to tell people to taste a beer. One, drink it. Just just drink it. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, cool. I'm not going to take offense to that. Anybody that would take offense to somebody not liking a beer style. Now, if the beer's just shitty, then okay, fine, understandable. But not liking a certain style, I have no no problem with that. Yeah, I get that. I don't drink sweet white wine. I hate it. I think it's awful. A lot of people do drink Moscatos and do drink you know, sweet whites, and I just, I, I never would. So I don't take any offense to that at all. But typically, like, if you're going through, like, a BJCP certified judging or, you know, uh, World Beer Cup guidelines or any of the sort, you know, you've got aroma, you've got mouthfeel, you've got carbonation, you've got flavor profiles there's i mean there's color clarity are all things that fall into the categories that you would then rate a beer by typically when i drink a beer i smell it and i just take a sip 
You know, it's not like wine where you take a little tiny sip and swish it around your mouth and cough and breathe in and breathe out and do all that other shit. Like, no, no it's, this is, this is beer, man. Like, this is not. So, Jim, what are you tasting there? I do taste some coffee, if I'm not mistaken, but also some, cho- is there chocolate? What I really like about lagers in general, and especially dark lagers, you know, box, Doppel box, Schwartz beers, is that you don't get a lot of that ale yeast characteristic. I mean, that's why they're lagered. They're very clean. They're very neutral, cold fermented. So everything that you taste is the ingredients themselves, as opposed to the esters and the phenols or any other compounds that you would get from a higher temperature fermentation. So what's great about Doppelbox and Bach beers, to me exactly, is, you know, you've got a little bit of roasted malt in there. You've got a little bit of chocolate malt in there. You've got, you know, some aromatic malt in there. I don't remember exactly what the grain bill is for this one, but uh, it's not too complicated. I believe there's only four to besides besides our base, uh, besides, well, I guess there was two different base malts in here, uh, which was a, a Munich and a Pilsner base. Uh, and then I believe there's only two or three other specialty grains in there, and that creates this toffee, coffee, you know, exactly. a little sugary, a little, you know, you get a little bit of that warming alcohol there, uh, you know, as it is 8.2%, but it's not like ethyl acetate. It's not like overpowering fusel alcohols. It's, it's, it's just nice and warming. It's super clean, easy to drink. I could drink this for breakfast. I'm not kidding. I could have this with yeah. toast and jam. Oh, no, I really after, could. After two or three of them, you might not want to function for the rest of the day, but, you know, hey. Okay, what's next? This is all debatable because the next three are... A fruited sour, a double IPA, and a imperial coffee stout. So either way, I mean, should we go with yeah. magic beans? Yeah, you could go with magic beans. Sure, let's try magic That's beans. That's another dark. So this was a beer that Ben made. It was a nine and a half percent imperial stout, which we then took with. I believe there was some vanilla in here, but I have to go back and, and I love that. and look. But what we did was we took coffee and did a cold press coffee. That's why I like and it so much. And then we blended yes. cold pressed coffee, cold brewed coffee back into the mm. beer mm-hmm. to get what you have there. And a lot of that. coffee? I want to say it was five pounds of beans concentrated and then pushed back into 125 gallons of beer. So it's about about one pound per barrel of cold brewed coffee concentrate. That's basically what your cold brew process is. But what I love about this beer, and and this also is something that strikes me about a lot of your beers, collusion beers, is I am struck right up front with the aroma. And I don't get that in a lot of beers, but I do when I drink your beers. And it's one of the things that I like the most that, because so much of taste is smell. And when you put that to your nose and there's that aromatic but the smell, it's fun to drink. What's next? I'd probably say the homunculus would be next. Okay. This is our flagship double IPA. Yep. This is uh, all mosaic and citra. I have a very intimate affair with homunculus. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. I spend a lot of time with homunculus. I'll do what, whatever you need it to do. It does. This is a little sweeter than uh, some of the other IPAs, you know, being that it is 8%. Huge tropical fruit aromas, you know. That smell. Papaya, melon, mango, peach, apricot. Oh. Uh, all citrus, mosaic hops. When do you get to sit and have a tasting with the brewer right here with you to give you this insight? Mmm. And this is really one of your signature beers. Yeah, this has, this has become one of our flagship beers. We do a beer. Originally, the way that this came around was we originally did a beer called Anamorphous. 
before we even opened for business, we had like a one month beforehand preview in York, which we have now dubbed Rally in the Alley. Uh, and <laughs> like. that's where we basically said to downtown York, hey, we've got 12 beers for this preview. Come on down and check them out. And we opened the doors, we opened the garage doors to the brewery and set up a little cash register right there. And people just, we, we had the alleyway shut down and people just grabbed their beers. And we had like something like 350 or 400 people in line at one point ready when we opened to just try all the new stuff. And it was just a blast. Yeah. And that anamorphous beer is a rotating hop variety. I mean, we change the recipe almost every time that we do it, whether it's different grain, whether it's different hops, whether it's different yeast, whatever it is. The second variant of anamorphous was such a favorite of ours that we then took it, made it a year round beer. And now that's homunculus. Okay. okay. And now we well, have just good. brewed anamorphous 37, which is on draft right now. Well, how is anamorphous 37 different from homunculus 37 is seven and a half percent instead of eight percent uh there's more oats in number 37 we use malted oats in number 37 uh, the hop varieties are different and we used in 37 we use some of the cryo hops which is another process that i'm not going to get into super concentrated hops for 37 but different varieties as well so pretty much all of it is different are you big on entering your beers in competition Nope. I've done that already. It's to a point now where, and I don't know if this is 100% the case, but in my uh, conspiracy theorist mind, I think they're all pay to play at this point. I agree. I know, well, in my business, that was the case. At least at least some of which are, are pay to play. But I also think that, you know, the judging is so skewed anymore because everybody and everybody thinks that they can become a beer judge. And, you know, typically a lot of the events that are held have judges that do not have as much experience as they should or the palate that they should. But I've won a World Beer Cup Award. I've won a GABF Award. I've won Best Florida Beer Awards, Best Beer in Delaware. You know, we took home 16 medals for Best Florida Beer Competition the very first year that we entered anything down at Darwin's. I've done it already. It's good to get feedback, but at the same time, it's just expensive too. For us to send a beer out to World Beer Cup, just to have it judged is $175 per entry. Plus, you have to ship out like eight or eight to 12 bottles of this, if not more. I mean, in the one year, we, I, th I think we did, we did it the very first year that we were open for collusion. And we made it to the final round of judging for all the beers that we entered, but didn't win anything, which, you know, doesn't matter to me. But I want to say we spent like $1,400 just sending beer out to this competition. Pay to play, as you said, to be in the it game. Was, it, got, it got good feedback, but I mean, you're worried about, all right, well, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to spend the money, then I want the beer to be as fresh as possible. So now my brew schedule has now rotated to, you know, basically make sure that I'm on point for this schedule for this competition. In my opinion, the beer speaks for itself. The customers speak for themselves, you know. I don't need awards or accolades to reinforce my thought that I make okay beer. Really well, good beer. Yeah, I have no doubt that these are gold medal winners. Unfortunately, we only have one more left. <laughs> What's our last one, Jared? So this is uh, Soft and Cuddly. This is a beer that we started doing about three years ago when you first started seeing a huge trend of like lactose and fru infused fruited sour beers. Then we've played around with a couple different variants of those. I mean, we've got our our soft and cuddly line. We've got our Soma, our super Soma line, so uh, which, which Ben has perfected. And 
you know, we've done a couple collabs on. So we just did one with Imprint with their Smoogee line and our Soma stuff. And, you know, we've, we've dabbled in a bunch of different fruit and sours and whatnot. And this one was kind of an ode to key lime pie. So and I'm this not even is, a sour but and I love the, nice. isn't it nice? Yeah. Because it's not, it's Ooh. not overdone. It's Ooh. not too sour. But the key lime for sure. For uh, sure. No question. Am I right that there's kind of a dry finish to it, which I really bit, I, yeah. I like? Yeah, it's it's the way that the that the acidity plays off your tongue, and you know. Yeah, and again, a great aroma, which is fantastic. No, that's nice. Good. And that was yeah, that was graham crackers, lime mm. puree, vanilla. I think a little, maybe a little marshmallow fluff in there or something. I gotta. Jared, yeah. you just did a great one that sold out immediately. I mean, and I, I mean, just following your social post. And it, what what was it? I can't even remember what it was, but it sold out immediately because I asked you about it and you said, oh, it's yeah, it was sold it out. was the we did a collab with Imprint uh, Brewing and it was the Smoogee Soma. So it was our fruited sour beer mixed with their fruited sour beer. Only we decided to do like a really well, I don't want to say really high, but like an imperial version of it. so it was eight percent imperial fruited sour with cheesecake, graham cracker, vanilla, a little bit of raspberry, a little bit of blackberry. And then a shitload of blueberry that sold out in 45 minutes or so. So this will reveal how little I know about beer. I do know a good beer when I taste one. But what is putting the blueberry and and the cheesecake? Is it the hops or the... the no, literal, literally blueberries and cheesecake. You're kidding me. So you're dumping cheesecake into... Powdered, powdered cheesecake or some people, use, some people use cream cheese. I think we, I mean, we used a flavoring for this one. Because I would have, like, where you were like, cheesecake, I don't think that's going to work. Or or what is it like experimentation? Anything goes. You'd be amazed to see what some of the ingredients are in some of the beers nowadays. We put hundreds and hundreds of pounds of blueberries and raspberries and blackberries and, you know, graham cracker and vanilla. And yeah, there is an inherent risk. You don't know if it's going to taste really good or taste like shit. Right? I mean, you kind of know what it's going to taste like beforehand. Really? At least you should. If you don't know what a beer is going to taste like before you make it, probably should like do a little more research before you, you know, hype it up and try to sell it. But yeah, I don't know. I think you're getting into brewmaster territory there. Well, <laughs> not, not in a, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're on a level where you're brewing professionally, you should know that certain ingredients combined with other ingredients will make this final flavor nice. Hopefully this was instructive for people because I really wanted to know how do I taste it? How do I really interpret what I'm tasting? So that was very helpful for us. But I really want to know a little bit more about you. I know, I mean, we've obviously covered your expertise from a, a brewer standpoint. So what else do you like to do besides brew beer? What is fun for you? Uh, Kayaking. Okay. So are you outdoorsy guy? Would we define you as that? It depends on the day. Yeah, I'm kind of a little bit of both. I mean, I, I love going kayaking, uh, golfing, hiking with the wife and the dogs, which she does way more of than I ever do. But anything out on the water. I love my video games there too, so I can't lie. Oh, okay, oh, no, no, video game video enthusiast. La uh, last question: What's your go-to beer? Like when you are at the end of a hike with your wife and your dog, you get home, you sit down. What See, do you I go to? I don't have a go-to beer. I have kind of the mentality of there's a beer for every occasion. You know, it's like I said before. There's, there's, you know, every beer has its place. If I'm out mowing a yard. You know, if we're just talking about collusion stuff, if I'm out mowing the yard, I'm drinking a first right. Yeah, you know, I'm drinking a Pilsner. Pilsner, yeah. If I'm outside grilling in the fall, I'm drinking uh, Magic Beans. If I'm, you know, sitting around a campfire, I'm drinking a beer that we call that we make called Night's Hold. It's a 
smoked imperial porter, smoked Baltic porter. You know, so it all depends on the situation. It all depends on time. I don't have like a oh, I'm going home. It and is I'm a drinking mood, this. isn't it? It's, it's absolutely. There's a, mood. a certain mood that you every reach beer has for. its place for anything. You know, if I'm coming home and I'm super thirsty, I'm cracking a Miller Light and I'm crushing a Miller Light. If I'm sitting out on a boat in 90 degrees, I'm you know probably doing the same thing. If I'm and you know what, that wasn't the last question because I'm not ready for it to be the last question. So I have another question for you. Aside from beer, are you? Do you like whiskey? Do you like tequila? Do you like vodka? The only thing I don't really drink is vodka or most rums. Depends on the rum, depends on the quality, depends on the age of it. But other than that, I'm a huge tequila fan. I'm a huge bourbon fan, whiskey fan. Which you're partnering here. We got Stolen Wolf available here. Yeah, we've got some of those things available here, which is great. There's there's really not too much that I don't try to at least <laughs> don't dabble enjoy. in. Yeah. And well, the listen. food is great here. And so I think your last opportunity is, so why come to... Lit it shirt factory. Why come to Collusion Tap Works here? You mean why should people come yes, here? Yes, why should people come here? This is your opportunity. I can guarantee you that if you walk through the door, you'll find something for you. You know, you can't say that at a lot of places that you go to, you know. We've got a huge variety of beers, you know, only sixteen here, but twenty four in New York. Huge variety of beers. We've got a pretty wide array of food between, you know, flatbreads, simple appetizers, burgers, handhelds, salads. The crab cakes. Brussels sprouts. The whole whole deal. So, right. And uh, wine. We've got waltz. We've got some waltz vineyard wines. uh, We're, we're, might be expanding uh, some more seltzers and mixed stuff in the future here just to kind of give something for everybody. You know, I understand that people come here and don't want to drink beer. I get that. I don't think you should, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> I agree with you. Why would you? Why would you come to a brewery and why not would drink you? beer? Why would I you don't understand that. But that being nice. said, you know I'm not one to judge. If you want to, you know, drink your white wine spritzers and your and like you said, something for everyone, something which for everyone. I think is really, really great. Well, look, Jared, thank you. You've been really generous with your time. I mean, I could talk for hours with you about beer. You know, the thing that I'm left with is that whenever I drink your beers, I don't. I feel like a kid at Christmas particularly when there's a new one up on on the uh, on the list on the board they're they're really amazing and i think they bring a lot of a lot of joy to people's lives i hope so keep going with your passion and um, thank you again and while you're thinking about it go to where you get your podcasts and subscribe and give us a review visit our website lititshirtfactory.com join our mailing list and you will get updates event info and lots of cool stuff Follow us on our social media channels, Instagram and Facebook at Lit It Shirt Factory. And don't forget, come have a beer and a bite to eat here at Collusion, 5 Juniper Lane, Lit It Shirt Factory, seven days a week.